It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. worst Manchester United performance of our lifetimes and our parents and grandparents too probably an utter humiliation at Old Trafford the kind you have nightmares about it's been a few days now and at different points since Sunday's route it's looked 100% certain Oregon Social would leave United and at others it's looked likely they'll stay and for much of the time in between no one's had a clue um, we normally record on a Monday but given the chaos we thought we'd wait this week and I'm glad we did because things have significantly changed since Monday or or the lack of change has been significant. Welcome back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. It's a pleasure to have you with us as always. We'll be talking about the week at United, what we've been left thinking this week and what has to happen going forward in the short term and long term. It's not the most hopeful of times to be a Red, but there's plenty to discuss and there is some things to be hopeful about. Jack, before we talk bigger picture, I guess we can mention it a, a bit, but just quickly on the game, which is now three or four days ago, it was the worst I think I've ever seen. It was just utterly amateur all round, clueless all round. And the worst part about it was that we had the warning signs time and time again, but not just time and time again, but so obviously only a few days before against Atalanta, as Paul Scholes said on BT Sport. And yet we still committed the inconceivable and just opened ourselves up to one of the best teams in the world and our, our main rifles. Yeah, I mean, we just conceded seven goals in the space of four days to Leicester and then to Atalanta and somehow thought that going into a game against a team that was is a significant step up from either of those two, playing the same way would, would lead to a, a better outcome. It, it, it beggared belief, to be honest, and it still does. I mean... Humiliating doesn't even really cover this this game, this performance. Humiliating was the 6-1 defeats to Man City and Spurs. And this was different and worse to those. You know, those two, especially the Man City game, our, our performance was bad, but it wasn't 6-1 bad. You know, the Man City game, it was 3-1 with three minutes left. And, you know, we conceded yeah. three goals while chasing a comeback. This was... Worse than just humiliating because we deserve to lose 5 0. And to be honest, we probably deserve to and lose more. worse than 5 0. Yeah, especially in the second half. We were half. lucky, yeah. Liverpool just 
took their foot off the gas. I think that's what was, that was the, I think that was the humiliation. It was that they beat us 5-0 without ever really trying. None of the goals were good goals. They weren't down to the individual brilliance of Mo Salah, which if they were, then okay, because he's an amazing player. They weren't. They were all mistakes and Liverpool could just not even bother for 40 minutes of the game and still win 5-0. And honestly, I've, I thought it, it could have easily been, if they'd gone for it, it could have easily been eight or nine. Yeah, I mean, De Gea even made a few saves, even before Liverpool really yeah. sort of shut up shop and just took their foot off the gas. De Gea just kept, I, w- I was going to say kept us in the game, he didn't keep us in the game, but kept it from being even worse. You know, that is, it's just, it's humiliating, it's embarrassing. I, I can't even really, there aren't words to describe how, how bad it is, without a doubt. I think the worst Man United performance in history, one of the worst days in the history of, of this football club. Absolutely, and yeah. It, it really was astonishing. Not just that it happened, you know, pl- football players, football teams can have bad days. It was the predictability of it happening. Yeah. Yeah. And also the, it, that was it. It was confusing because I think we said, I don't know if it was last week or the week before when we were looking ahead at all of the big games as a whole. I think it was two weeks ago where we said Dev, maybe he should just go back to, given United aren't playing well, maybe we should just go back to what we were good at a year, 18 months ago, which is setting teams up to to hold out, be resolute and counter-attack. And that's, it, it would have been a tactic to stabilise things. And it was mad that having seen the performances against Atalanta and Leicester where we were so open, where our insane one-man press just kind of left us massively open. And yeah, it was the predictability of it. It was that, the first goal went in and he thought, well, there's going to be another one like that. And it was also the fact I was standing in the stadium and every goal happened and he just thought, I've, I've literally just seen that goal and now it's happened again. You might think that over the course of a season and that would be a frustration, but this was, there was a, a feeling of, of numbness in the stadium where he just thought, what? what's going on? And in the end, after about, I think just after the hour mark, probably there's kind of a, a bit of a defiant support began. And then for the last half an hour and a good 20 minutes after the final whistle, there was a, a serious amount of noise in the Stretford end. It was the, we'll be running round or traffic with 20 chant. And in the East stand, it was the United Calypso. And to have not just one part of the ground, but multiple parts of the ground, everyone standing up and singing was a, it, yeah, it was a real show of defiance. And, and that was, that was good. I came away feeling good somehow after we'd been beaten 5-0 by Liverpool. But yeah, it was, it was that feeling of numbness where he thought, I just, I've, this goal is happening again and again. It was like the, the Spurs 6-1, all of it down the left-hand side or our left-hand side. It was honestly astounding watching us try and defend. I mean, it was, this, this wasn't like Liverpool came out and did something completely shocking and different to what they've been doing for the last three or four years. See, it's the same thing. It's the same way they've been playing. Firmino dropped deep into midfield and then they put runners in behind and we just didn't deal with it. I mean, I've got to say, actually, coming out of a 5-0 defeat to Liverpool, I never thought I would say that a couple of players played well. I thought Fred and McTominay actually did okay. <laughs> it's in particular, Fred. But they were being asked to cover 50, 60 yards, almost themselves. It was unbelievable. You, you think you're playing Liverpool, who very famously play with this sort of false nine in Firmino, who drops into midfield, doesn't create a huge goal threat. And their goal threats come from the wingers, usually Salah and Mane, it was Salah and Jota in this case. So why on earth do you, A, not have at least one of your centre-backs following Firmino, 
And if they're not going to do that, why do you then not play a three-man midfield? Because effectively, what you, what you ended up with was Fred and McTominay trying to cover both the three midfielders that Liverpool had in there and Firmino dropping deep. It, it's just unfeasible they're ever going to do it. As soon as they tried to press the ball, which they did, and, that, and that's, they, they did it okay, Liverpool could just easily play around them because there's only two men against four in there for Liverpool. For Maguire and Lindelof didn't want to follow Firmino deep. Then Shaw and Wambasaka weren't good enough at tracking the runs. And even when they did, there were individual mistakes to, you know, compound everything. It was, this is like schoolboy stuff. I, if I can sit here as someone who doesn't even watch Liverpool that often and know that that is going to, what going to be the case, how on earth does a manager at a top football club not prepare for that? Yeah. You know, as I said, this isn't anything new. It's not a shock that Liverpool played like this. It's, like, like I, I was advocating last week that I didn't think that just shutting up shop and sitting back really deep and trying to only hit on the counter-attack was the way to play. And I stand by that. But that doesn't mean that you don't at all set your team up to try and stop Liverpool. It just means that you defend in a more aggressive way. But there was no organisation in how we defended at all. Yeah. I think the problem, and this, this is a, we're moving on now because, uh, well, that there is so much we could dissect from the Liverpool game that was bad, but I've I've basically coped with it. My coping mechanism immediately after the game was I'm never gonna go into the anger stage. I'm just gonna bypass that and go into the well, <laughs> let's let's move on stage. And it's it to be honest, it's actually worked so far. So it's going I think well. It actually it actually helped that the the beating came so early in the game because it made it a little yeah, bit easier. Yeah, to that's accept. definitely true. Yeah. By the time the fourth, fifth goal went, I was numb. I, I barely even reacted at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Peter, I went to the pub after. People were dancing in the pub just because it was like, well, well there's, there's nothing better to do. Yeah. Um, we might as well just laugh about this because otherwise we're going to be in tears. Um, like the, in some ways, yeah, this is like easier to deal with than like a 95th minute equaliser you know that goes to be fair that's that's what my brother said he said this is easier to deal with than a 3-0 where like we it it, it was 1 or 2-0 and we were going for it and then it was going at the end and yeah strangely yeah it is longer term it's not it's a different feeling it's a feeling of humiliation rather than frustration actually which kind of feels less oppressive on my body (laughs) over the course of the week but it, it, it's, it's obviously worse. Um, but yeah, the, the bigger point is as, as a whole this season, and this has been shown so obviously in Liverpool games, it, I think he's got the players now for United to be an attacking team. And the problem has been attempting to become an attacking team instead of one that sits back in counter-attacks, which isn't all, all we did in the past, but it is what we did in the big games. Attempting to change the team has exposed the complete inability of to build a team that's tactically astute enough to cope with the quality it's facing. And it's as if we've kind of chosen not to organize our team anymore. And uh, what I find mad is the criticism of, of Solskjaer's United in the past was, Oh, you can beat the big teams without the ball, but what about when you have the ball against small teams? And this is what's crazy is because suddenly the criticism of Solskjaer has become, he can't set a team up to defend, but that's the opposite of what was true. We used to be able to do it. And it, it's not, it wasn't simply a matter of having lots of players back and counterattacking. We did do some good things. He, he, he set United out in, in good systems to defend against City, against Spurs, against Liverpool, against whoever. And it worked. So the ability to do that is obviously there. 
in, at some level and yet it was completely missing and I, it comes the bigger point this season is we've tried to go more attacking with uh, a higher defensive line partly because of Iran even higher fullbacks than before um, with McTominay and Fred making more forward runs than they used to and uh, uh, there is also the addition of, of Ronaldo being a slightly different striker and Bruno going further forward but I, they're not the only things and all of that together has, has meant this huge space in behind against Everton when Tom Davies got through or when uh, was it Andros Townsend got through uh, against Villarreal multiple times against Villa multiple times and obviously against Liverpool time and time again um, and it comes down to that point of he's been trying to create a more attacking team but just he hasn't been able to do so. Well, and there was this this hope, I think, this desire that we would, especially with the signing of Varane, be able to play a much higher line when, you know, we had been, especially for a top team, a relatively low, low, not a low block, but our, our defensive line was pretty, pretty deep. And it it's worked to some degree in that we have been able to play a higher line, but it's sort of come without much appreciation of what it takes to play a higher line. You know, it's it's really just been play exactly the same way as we did before, just 20 yards further up the pitch, which sounds all well and good, but it obviously means you're leaving so much more space. And like you said, it's coincided with playing, maybe not different players, but I think having the, the midfielders more involved in the attack, then making more forward runs. Shaw obviously is a very attacking left back already. So often you end up with maybe only the two centre-backs, sometimes the two centre-backs and Wan-Bissaka as really the only players available back in defence. Again, it just goes back to this disorganisation that we've been feeling the whole season. Now, we've obviously had some good defensive performances under Solskjaer, but I don't think they've really been born out of good defensive organisation or structure. It's often been simply that we've kept the ball and we've had more players in the position to actually, you know, put in a good defensive uh, play. And so I, I still think we're waiting to see, and maybe probably will never see at this point, how we do organise defensively and how we create a better structure and how you defend. That doesn't mean that you can't sit and be a low block and be a counter-attacking team. But even in those situations, I don't think we've really seen Solskjaer's, that he has the ability to set us up in a good defensive structure, even when we have... Our, our outcomes maybe have been better defensively. Yeah. I'm struggling to think of specific examples, but I, I don't think that's because they're not there. I think it's because I don't think we've seen it since the, since before Project Restart. But I think, I, th- I think there were, there were games where we got lucky, no doubt. And there were games where our attack made up for our defence being good, but not amazing. But I think there were times where we did defend well. And, and that was not just a result of, like good individual quality um perhaps near if 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 Ollie's time is at an end perhaps when it does come to an end I will go back and search for those examples and see if my memory serves me correct but let's move on to what we expected to happen after the game so I mean I went to the pub and then for some pasta with my family and that was uh um, <laughs> comforting but on the Monday morning obviously very gloomy and to be honest Sunday leaving the ground, I didn't expect him to be sacked. I only began expecting him to be sacked when the reports were every there, everywhere that he was going to be. And I find it, I mean, it's a little bit funny that how everyone was convinced he would be gone, but it's not happened. And I can't remember, someone was pointing this out on Twitter. Um, that it's funny that certain journalists will 
get things wrong like four times in a day. But when people within the football club get things wrong like once in a year, then they absolutely jump on them. But um, yeah, I, I thought then he was probably going, uh, but leaving the ground, I didn't think he was. And I, I didn't think he was because as much as, because this board aren't prepared for him to go. Firstly, he's useful to them because he doesn't speak out against the Glazers. Um, he presents a harmonious image of United. He stabilised things. He doesn't demand well, he does demand things, but not too much for their liking. But also they haven't lined up a replacement because they're not forward thinking. They're not long-term planning thinking. That that doesn't happen at United. So I wasn't expecting him to go and I'm not surprised that it looks like he's staying at least for the Spurs game. Probably at the, I think the earliest he would go is for the November international break and that, that possibly will happen depending on these results. But yeah. So I, I wasn't expecting him to go originally until all the reports came out and then I thought that was it, yeah. I I think my problem with thinking about so, whether Solskjaer was going to stay or not was simply just that the timing... Well, I think the timing, there were good and bad elements to it. The bad is just that, you know, we're still in the middle of the season and the replacements, which we'll talk briefly about, they, they, they aren't particularly obvious. Most of the top managers are already in stable jobs that you can't see them leaving. It was good in that this is one of the very few weeks of the season where we don't have a midweek game. So outside of the international break, this felt like an opportunity to make the move if, if, you, were, if you were going to. I think the, the issue is just, I expected Solskjaer to be sacked purely because I don't, I don't know how he had, can have any credibility now. And I think that's kind of the most difficult thing to overcome, both among the fans and the players. You know, I don't, I think it's extremely difficult now for him to have convey any sort of message to fans or to players that anyone will really believe. After a yeah. defeat like that, there isn't just a one-off like we Did said. Did you... Okay, so you, you thought that after the game, not after the kind of leaks from the, the players? Yeah, I, I didn't expect him to be sacked immediately. I thought it would take a, few, a couple of days. I, I wouldn't say I necessarily expected him to be sacked, but that was my... No, my I, I, I more mean the, um, the the point about uh, people kind of believing him. As in, was that what you thought after the game or was it... Because I, I thought that after all the uh, reports came out where clearly players or players' agents had spoken to reporters and given them certain information about training, about what they think of Solskjaer, about what players have said. I think after that, I was thinking, how is he going to go in and face the dressing room? How is he going to face the fans, whatever? But were you thinking that after the game already? But just because of yeah, how bad the yeah, defeat I was. was. I, I, tweet, I tweeted it at yeah. half time, I'm pretty sure. that. Right. I just don't, I don't see how he has any credibility after that. Um, because I, like I said, I think it would have been different. You can survive bad results. And, and Solskjaer has done that himself in the past. You know, he was in charge when we lost the Spurs 6-1, for example, and you, you kind of get through it. I think the difference with this, like I said earlier, is just that it was largely predictable and that these are issues that aren't new. And I don't see how he, I don't see how as a player, you have any sort of faith that he is the man to turn this around. And so I was expecting him to go. I, I wouldn't say I'm particularly shocked that he hasn't because there isn't this great option obvious option available yeah. as an alternative. You know, we said in a couple of episodes ago that the decision to whether, whether to keep Solskjaer or not isn't in a vacuum. It, you also, of course, have to take into account 
Yeah. Where are you going to go from here? And I think there are a lot of doubts about most of the potential replacements. So I wouldn't say I'm like, you know, unbelievably shocked that it hasn't happened, but I did expect there to be some yeah. news on Monday. Yeah. I, I was very much not shocked there. I, I was expecting there to be nothing on Monday. I was surprised when Tuesday came around um, and there was nothing. But then once, once it, it, it did get to a stage where reliable people were saying United were thinking about sacking him, but no one was saying, no one reliable was saying, yeah, he's gone. And I that that's notable. And then Tuesday morning, reliable people were saying, no, he's staying. And so, yeah, it wasn't nailed on that he was going to leave at any point. But yeah, I think most people will be surprised he's still United manager. Just and I, I think what's what's very important is the bad atmosphere that's being created, not by the defeat, but by all of these reports and by I'm not going to call them leaks from the camp. They are leaks from the camps, but ultimately they're journalists talking to people they've got good relationships with and taking that information. They're not players. They're, they're, you're not, the, these stories are very rarely players like just picking a random journalist and saying, here, please publish this. It's little, little snippets of information given in casual conversations. And then those are taken on. But uh, what's important is after that, the atmosphere created by that, that didn't have to happen. And it, it could have happened if, if he was going to be sacked and the club were saying nothing, then okay, then they shouldn't come out on Monday and say he's got our backing and sack him on Tuesday. That'd be silly because he'll never be believed. But the it, Solskjaer and everyone else in the world now knows that the United board thought about sacking him because they remained dead silent on Monday. And that's the problem is it it just means it, now everyone knows that the writing's on the wall. Everyone knows that he's going to be sacked at some point, if not in the next three weeks, then probably at the end of the season. And it just leaves this massive cloud hanging over United. And that, what's sad is that was what was so good about Solskjaer is he got rid of all of the clouds hanging over United. Even the Paul Pogba cloud for much of, of the Solskjaer era has not been above United. And the board's indecision leading to a non-decision, it seems, has kind of put that back. Well, I mean, I think I think the the fact they haven't made a statement is just, I think, emblematic of the fact that Solskjaer potentially getting sacked is still on the table. And I don't think they wanted to be seen to, you know, make a statement and then even a couple of weeks later go back on it. Listen, I'm all for bashing the board and I don't think that they've dealt with this in yep. the perfect way. But... I I also don't think it's fair to say that it's only the board that have created this cloud because ultimately this has been brought about because of the results on the pitch, you know, and I think all the leaks and everything and the way the board have handled it has obviously yeah. made it worse. But I, I don't think it's fair to say that this has only been brought about by how it's been dealt with in the aftermath of the game. But I actually think there, there are reports today that there was not a bust up, but, you know, some arguing and then sort of a clear the air meeting with the players reporting the times about that, which honestly I don't think is is the worst thing in the world for United. I think if they are going to move forward with Solskjaer, it needs... I think if, if any of you have ever been in a, in a team, whether a sports team or, or otherwise, that are sort of reeling after something bad has happened, you need to have that that honest, I think, reflection and honest conversation with each other where you clear the air, you get everything out in the open and if that is what's happening at United, as these reports are suggesting, I actually think that's a positive step 
because of there, there are going to be some angry people in that dressing room, angry players, angry staff. And again, as I said about social sort of credibility problem, how do you start getting that back? And I think the way that you do it is that you take input from the players you take maybe not suggestions, but you make sure that everyone is able to get their thoughts out and then you, you sort of deal with it from there. And so if that is what's going on today at Carrington, I think that is a good first step. And I think, I think the way that the players respond will be very telling because I've never thought in any of Solskjaer's bad periods that he didn't have the full support of the players. And, you know, that normally is sort of the classic or he's lost the players is when you sort of know that a manager's time is up. And I've never, ever thought yeah. Solskjaer was anywhere close to that. But I think if it ever was going to happen, this would be it. And so I think the way that we respond against Spurs this weekend will be very, very telling. And probably not even just the result, but just the way that the players, their demeanour, the, the attitude they they put out on the pitch. Yeah, I, th- I think what's... what's uh... I mean, Solskjaer has helped a lot of the players in the team and been loyal to them. There are obviously others who he has done the opposite to, like Van der Beek and I guess Eric Bailly could suggest he hasn't been loyal to him, but not that he's deserved it. Um, but it, in that way, he's lucky that even if there are complaints, there is, there's still a, a big core of players who will stay loyal to Solskjaer, even if they're not being vocal in their support for him, won't take kind of a a player revolution. So that helps. And going for, it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult task going forward for Solskjaer. Um, there's a few different things to think about on this one. Just before we go into that, given that he is staying at least for the weekend, uh, it seems, by any late change. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. But first, your thoughts now on what United should do going forward in the next three, four weeks. I, I mean, I, as I said, I think a good start internally is get everything out in the open and come up with a plan. I think I, on the pitch. But I mean, I mean, or I mean more, um, who, basically who should be manager? Just, in your opinion, should Solskjaer be sat now? Forget that he's not going to be before Saturday. In your opinion, should he be sat now? And if so, what should happen? Yeah, I think Solskjaer should be sacked. I think, I, I think we're at a point where he's had enough opportunities to turn this around and we've seen enough of basically the same thing happening that I don't, I, I don't have any faith that he can take us any further. It becomes tricky because I don't think there is a perfect replacement. I'm not completely sold on Conte. I, I think he's a very good manager, but I don't think that his, I don't think that A, his demeanour and B, the way that he would want to set us up meshes very well with United both just sort of the culture of the club but also the players that we have I don't think are, are particularly well suited to Conte's system my my pick would probably be Eric Ten Hag if I had to make one but he's obviously in the Ajax job don't know if he would want to to leave in the middle of the season and even then he is also a manager who you know is relatively inexperienced at the top level of sort of European football. He's obviously done well with Ajax in the Champions League, but he is another manager where, I guess sort of in the Pochettino mould that we've discussed before, he's very good at growing a team, but is he is he capable yeah. of, sort of dealing with a team with the sort of superstars that a team like United has? There aren't great options, but I think, I don't, I don't see how Solskjaer can continue and I don't see, I don't have enough faith that he can turn this around because I've not seen any evidence that yeah. he can. I think we're just in that tricky situation where 
it, it does just seem a matter of time now. But to, to turn it round would be one of the great achievements by any manager under this much scrutiny. The scrutiny every day at United now is bigger than it has been for most other managers ever. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying he absolutely cannot do it, but it would require a, a miracle if he's still the manager by the end of next season. If he's still manager by the end of this season, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be that shocked, but it would require him to win the next three games because I basically think the board don't want to make a decision. There's no one in there who's willing to put their head above the parapet and make that decision. The the structure of the club is such that it's not clear whose responsibility that is. We've got an executive vice chairman on his way out, but now he might stay for an extra couple of months. His replacement is already at the club. Is technically his kind of, he is technically bossed by Edward Wood uh, for now. Which one of them make decision or is it the football side of the club with John Murta and Darren Fletcher as the technical director roles? It's not clear. And that's a shambles for a club the size of Manchester United. Um, so I ultimately think that, that the people at the top don't want to make a decision. So they would love Solskjaer to win two of the next three games and then just kind of plod along until the end of the season. Um, I think as fans, we're looking at it as if there's not a decision made now, then we're not going to win anything. Whereas I think the board look at it and think, I don't think they're that desperate to win the title. The football people, yeah, but the the very top people, I don't think are that desperate. So they won't they won't see kind of just playing out the rest of the season. As long as we're in the Champions League next year, they won't see playing out the rest of the season as kind of this disgraceful thing, which it, it would be given the players we have and the size of us. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's still here at the end of the season, but it does require big results. I think the problem is, yeah, it's just the distrust in them to get it right. And yeah, I'm not convinced by Conte. Um, I think partly because I don't think he's better than Guardiola, Klopp or Tuchel. And so I don't think he'll win us a league. In which case, why rush into it with him? I think... Ultimately, you know, United got themselves in this pickle by not planning, not having a contingency plan for if Solskjaer didn't work out. And so the perfect person is not only not available, but we've never spoken to them before, probably. Um, and so I think. And even the, and even the, to your point that you have no faith in them to get it right, even probably the, the best decision they've made in the last six, seven years was appointing Solskjaer. Yeah. Because he's de- without a doubt been the best manager post Sir Alex Ferguson. But even that was fraught with, ridiculous decisions like giving him a contract when they didn't need to in the first place, renewing his contract when they didn't need to a few months ago, yeah. you know, even... Which is, let's not forget right, what they, they did with Mourinho. Into. They gave Mourinho right. a new contract and then didn't back him in the summer and then sacked him. It's, it, we could we could go down this route for a long time, but basically I think, I, I think Conte's a brilliant manager. I'm not convinced he's perfect. And given that, and given how good the other three are, I basically think if United are going to win the league, it's going to be not with a proven manager because you can't get a better one than the three that are already in the Premier League. I think it's going to be with a punt who turns out to be really good. That's obviously very difficult and requires very good judgment, whether that is Ten Hag or Graham Potter or, or going back to Pochettino or whoever. I don't know. Not my job to know. Um, but I think United need, I don't, I don't think we can do better than the other clubs. So we have to kind of take a gamble on someone and see if they can trump them in another way. Um, the only other sort of established manager that I think I would be 
excited for would probably be Luis Enrique. But again, yeah, he's my, he's my brother's favourite. Yeah, I, I think he he is probably the one manager out there that I think could potentially take United to a similar sort of level as you know Guardiola, Tuchel and Klopp. The issue though is that, again, I don't think we have a team that is particularly well suited to how he wants to play. Yeah. And so it sort of comes back to this do you prioritise the players that we have because they're ultimately the people that we're sort of invested in at the moment or do you prioritise getting in the right manager and accepting that it might take them a year or two to get the team to a point that they yeah. want? As, but as I said, so I have no yeah. faith in Solskjaer to sort of turn this around. I also don't really have any faith in the people making the decision to to get it right. And that's that's sort of the issue that we have. Yeah. I think the dream, sure, if Solskjaer's going to be... I, I can't make my mind up whether I think he's going to be gone in the international break or he'll still be it, it does obviously depend on results but in a, in a dream world you would see him win a couple of these go in November with his head held high after the good work he's done and that would be a really given what we've just had that would be a lovely way to end it if he can beat Spurs I'm not going to say win all three games but if he can do all right in the next three games and then go with his head held high and it gives United some time to do it my fear is that the border basically, and it's not the first time that Manchester United have thrown Solskjaer under the bus. I think uh, the European Super League, for example. My fear is they've thrown him under the bus. And it's not quite thrown him under the bus, but they've thrown him to the wolves and they're just going to let him carry on with press conference, interviews, matches, while they make their minds up on something they should have always known for the last three years, always had someone in mind and not just have someone in mind, but have someone in mind in case the number one person turns you down. You've got to have a contingency plan. It's so blatantly, obviously United don't, but I hope that they've, yeah, they're not just kind of letting Ole ride it out until it gets worse and worse because they can't make their minds up. But now very quickly before we wrap I mean, up. And you would, you would cool. sort of hope that all these meetings they were in at the start of the week, once the decision had been made to keep Solskjaer, some contingency planning is now happening because it does seem like, yeah. you know, the, the writing is on the wall. It probably will eventually happen that Solskjaer leaves. You would hope that some preparations are now starting to be made. Yeah. But the attitude, from what I get at the moment, the attitude right now is always staying. The players are getting behind him and they're going to do what they can to turn things around. That's, that is the... That's what's going on at the moment. Um, so what can they do to turn it round before we wrap up? Um, I think he's just got to, he, he's United have to look defensively sound against Spurs. He's, he's got to be selfish and ruthless and drop some players. Yes. But the most important thing is making United look defensively sound. That might be by going to three at the back or it might be by dropping players. It might be by changing tactics. It's probably a mixture of, a lot of those things. Um, but he's basically kind of got to shut up shop. The players have to work hard and he's got to drop this kind of manic suicidal nearest person to the ball goes and presses, leaves a massive space behind them. United try attack and get absolutely scythed open on the counter. Yeah. I think looking defensively more solid is probably the number one thing that, that needs to happen. I think as much as we've criticized Solskjaer for this, you can sort of leave the attack because you can kind of bet that United have enough good players on the pitch that will score goals. The the issue is setting us up in a yeah. in a way that we can defend better. 
So whether that means maybe putting an extra man in midfield, whether that means putting an extra man in defence and going three at the back, which we've obviously seen before, I think those are both options. You know, maybe it means dropping dropping Ronaldo, playing Cavani, who offers more defensively from the front, although I don't think that really is the source of our issues. You know, whether it just means simply playing the same team, but telling Shaw and Wambasaka to stay back a bit more, dropping Fernandez a bit deeper. I, I, there are options at Solskjaer's disposal here. It's, but I think there needs to be a, a a significant change against Spurs. And even I think we can lose that game and it be okay. Obviously, it, it's still bad, and Spurs are a team that we should be beating. But I think, given where we're at now. I think we can we can lose to Spurs and come out of it feeling maybe not positive but not terrible if if there are some signs of of improvement. Yeah. I don't know. I think we have to win. I just I I think things have already it's, it's surprising how quickly things have calmed down really. Given because Monday was was pretty intense. It was things were changing by the hour. Everyone was just it was one of those days where you couldn't really focus on things because you kept checking Twitter to see if there was an update. Tuesday was a little bit similar, but Wednesday has been much calmer as focus turns to the Tottenham game. But a defeat, I think, would just bring that all back. So yeah, it's it's difficult. But I guess my I guess what I'm what I'm just thinking though is that if it's all about the results, it's not going to get any worse than Sunday. Yeah. So you know. You, I, I, I want to say that we can't afford to lose, but realistically, unless we get beaten 5-0 again, what does that change? If we lose 1-0, it's still not as bad as it was last week. And do, you know, do you know what I mean? That, that's kind of what I mean about like the credibility problem and that, like, that's why I expected him to go because if you don't sack him after that and after what's come before, then it, it's sort of sending a message that we can afford to lose as long as we can show a little bit of improvement. That's all enough. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think his job depends on the Spurs game. It might depend on the three games, but so I I, I don't I get I guess if we got battered by Spurs, then yeah. But I'm I'm more mean, just kind of I don't know, I I don't know what I mean. It's a confusing time, um, <laughs> but I th- yeah, I think I think going to three at the back wouldn't be a terrible idea, just to get some defensive solidity and. Is Varane supposed to be back at the weekend? I actually don't. Uh, not sure at the moment. It's not. It's it's not clear. Solskjaer that, teased that about a week and a half. That would limit our ability to go three at the back. I mean, Shaw could come in at left well, back. Yeah, sure. Tell it's left wing back. Yeah, I don't think. I think that would be a, an all right idea. To be honest, I think there's a. The problem is there's there's a, a couple of players who need a little bit of a shake up, but who's going to give it to them? Because if Solskjaer does, then I, I think there's still enough respect there from the players that they would listen to him but some of them need a shake up and I don't think Solskjaer right now has the ability to give that to them because of what's just happened but some players need to be tracking back more other players need to up their game and get back on form but there's not really anyone it, it that needs to be from within the squad it needs leaders in the squad to step up and say let's come on let's get back on track um, and I think there are a couple who could whether they will we'll see we're going to go into our patron Q&A now. Uh, we've, we had a couple of questions from Dave and Marek, which were basically on what we've spoken about, about whether Ole can turn it round. But we've got another few questions from Mod on 
whether things would be different if we hadn't signed Ronaldo. We've got one from Arman and Simon saying who would be the ideal manager and one from Reed about picking a, a schoolyard style pickup game of two United squads to play each other. Um, thank you very much for listening everyone if you want more from us throughout the week reacting to the Spurs game and any other news that comes out you can find Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate T-A-I-T and me at Harry Robinson 64 on the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there and you can find information there about how to sign up to become a patron and listen to our bonus Q&As every week but other than that have a great week try not to think about Sunday but do think about Saturday when we're going to batter Spurs and Solskjaer's going to come off the bench and score have a great week goodbye Podcast Network.